Garrisons and allies. Avoid encamping on entangling ground. Let your troops be the first to occupy the narrow pass. And remember that he who plays the flute from the high ground is assured of victory. Because it's time to talk toll to me. Hello and welcome, I am Omen Thomas Said. And I am Nick McGill. Together, we are the two-man fighting force called the Feckless Momes. And this is a bad case of Trenchfoot, Talk Tall to Me. A strategic march through the six terrains of Prog Rock, in which Napalm Nick and Ordnance Omen will, through the ancient stratagem of Swinzun, seek to surround and capture every single track that Iron Discipline rock band Jethro Tull has ever commanded. We will diligently defuse the Martin Barr booby trap. We will launch a PJV, Portcullis Javelin Vendetta, and likely get hosted by our own Peg Petard. And if we can follow the centuries-old wisdom of the ancient Chinese general, we will employ the five Anderson advantages and achieve a crushing victory over the kingdom of podcasting. By the end of this run, so in like two years, two plus years, we're going to write a companion book called The Art of Tull. Oh, I like that. I think that's a yeah. great idea. Not the, yeah. or the, I was thought you were going to say The Art of Podcasting. Oh, no, we, I haven't learned anything about podcasting, no, no. but I've learned a lot about Tull. Yeah. So. Nick, hello. Hello, Omen. Hello. Coming to you through the ether. I feel the tingle. The hair on the back of my neck is sticking up. And I'm gassy, so yep, you are. I'm reaching out on the beam. That's it? That's not a beam. Mm. Nick, today we have the distinct pleasure of narrowing in on the final couple of tracks of the album, which is known as Under Wraps by Jethro Tull, 1984. So we are on our final track of Under Wraps. We are on General Crossing. Bonus track, question mark, number two. Is it a bonus track? Is it not a bonus track? Will they kiss? Probably. Schrodinger's bonus track. Schrodinger's bonus cat. Yeah. Ian would be thrilled. There's a box. It might have more cats than you think. <laughs> if it's Ian Anderson's box, it will have more cats <laughs> it's more than cats you than you thought. Well, Nick, without further ado, let's cross over into the listening moment and have a listen to General Crossing. Generally, a good idea. Nick? Well, you tall general. <laughs> No one's ever called me that before. You short colonel. <laughs> there we go. With that distinct and abrupt ending, mm -hmm. we have the final notes of this album. Yeah. Honestly, could not be happier with the ending of this song. I could not be happier that this album is over. <laughs> no, no, not the case at all. I have very much enjoyed this album, and we'll talk about it a little bit more. Yeah. Obviously, we're talking about this song in particular, but... This does give us a chance to kind of wrap up the album, and I'm I'm realizing that this song is such an appropriate one to do that with because in so many ways, musically, it typifies everything that this album is about. Hmm. Okay, go on. It is a very heavy PJV song. You can really feel the hand of Peter John Vitesse in this song. It's caressing me. It's gentle. Thought, yeah, gentle but firm. I thought you were correcting my pronunciation. You were like, it's caress. It's Peter John caress. <laughs> That's what they called him in college. That's true. <laughs> Guess what the P stands. Never mind. It's it's Peter, actually. It's, it's Peter. I do know. Yeah. yeah. So you can really feel his involvement. You know, this is an album where unusually a lot of the songs had this credit for the music to PJV on it. That's not something we've seen a lot mm -hmm. in Tall, you know, having music credits to someone besides Ian. And it gives the album a very distinct feel. And this song, again, really is a good example of that. You have the 
synth very, very forward with that bum 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 repeated riff. Bum 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 bum. It's not overwhelming like the earlier stuff in this album. It really fits so well. Yes. Another reason this is a good song to end on is because it is very well structured. Mm. We do have the drum machine, prominent but not overtaking everything. It is in 4-4, which a majority of songs on this album are. Mm -hmm. David Pegg is actually more involved in this song, to my ears, than in previous songs. Hmm. Yeah. Everything seems so well balanced. Yes. In this. Everything is so well layered and produced that I think that might be why. Martin is coming in very tactically, I would say. Mm -hmm. Clean and efficient. You know, a little bit sparse. The whole song is a bit sparse. It is, but it doesn't feel lacking in any way. No. And again, that is kind of the story of this album. It's a sparse, weird sound. It's heavily digital, but it kind of slaps. It does. It is a slapper, for sure. It really has the ability, this album as a whole, really has the ability to give you the atmosphere and the environment of the song. Yes. In both the context of that song in particular and entirely in the album, with just the sound. Yeah. The sound on this song is so dark. It's a, the sound of the ultimate end. It's our final chapter of our story here. Or maybe it's a cliffhanger. Maybe it's a preview of what's to come. A possible future. Yeah. But it still has that dark, what has happened, what is currently happening, and what is going to happen. All of it is still kind of up in the air. Yeah, yeah, it really does. And the music brings that tension to the ear. And I think a perfect example of the culmination of everything that we've been building for and experiencing throughout this album, sonically in particular, is the the vocal ejacks are all over the place on this one. And boy, are they fun. The trills, the laughing, the talking, the soft-spoken parts, the layered voices. Yeah. My goodness, it's so good in this one. Let's break some of that down because it, there is a lot of that in there. And we have, as you pointed out, we have a couple different versions of that. And we've had all of this to a certain extent in other songs off of the album. But I don't know that we've yeah. had so many different types of these vocal ejacks as you have termed them which i appreciate it's like when you're playing through pokemon and you start collecting them you put together your final team for the final gym battle uh-huh and you've collected all of the vocal ejacks to face the general wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is exactly like that i can't tell you how thrilled i was when i caught my first ejacks your first trill, your first ha <laughs> Yep, threw a berry at him. <laughs> oh, he was pretty happy about oh, that. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we have, I think maybe the, one of the first instances of it is the kind of lyrics plus, I guess. The kind of like, you know. You've the... subscribed to lyrics plus for $5 a month. Here's your box of bonus lyrics. Fanfare at dawn, courting green steel, lined up for World War One, two, three, four. Yeah. great it's great mm -hmm. i mean it fits thematically it changes the format of what you're listening to in such a way that it forces you to think about it in a different way absolutely absolutely yes we have yet to see tall do anything like this and i don't think we're going to see him do anything like it in the future it's so unique to this album and it's so darn fun now what is your take on the i don't no, I don't know. I want to find some context to place it in the song like we have been able to do in the past. I mean, is it just that he's so worked up? Is it a whistle? Is it like a military whistle he's trying to emulate there? <laughs> and that's a stretch. 
Yeah, I love Fleet Week because you see all the sailors marching around going. Brip, brip. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but I, maybe you're right. It does kind of lend itself, if not directly, maybe indirectly to that, the forms of military communication. Swinson mm-hmm. in The Art of War says that on the battlefield, voices and words get lost easily in the kind of thrum and echo of everything. And so you need signals, which are the time of Swinson, flags or banners, and... Text messages. And text messages, and and, <laughs> uh, and trumpets and drums. Yes. That's why that drum and bugle corps or drum and fife stuff exists and the bagpipes, because mm-hmm. it literally allows you to communicate. You can hear it distinctly across large distances, even if there's a lot of other sonic interference. So it's a technology of war. And oddly enough, they were off limits to target in mm-hmm. wars. You're right. You're not supposed to shoot the little drummer boy. You're not supposed to shoot the flags person. Yeah, it seems so strange. What better way to cause chaos for the enemy yeah, than to rules. break down their communication? Yeah, there are rules when killing people. There are. I've never understood that. Otherwise, we'd fall into just an uncivilized... Here's looking at you, Russia. Whoa! Ooh, shots fired. Uh, literally. literally. shots fired. So my favorite, one of my favorite parts in this one is in the court, the kind of little chorus. It's an old profession of subtle artillery. Between each of the lines, you get Ian going, he's crossing! He's like warning every single time, but he's also a little excited. He's on the radio. It's so funny. Oh, look, look out. He's crossing. Well, yeah. Uh, So in Apogee, for instance, we had the NASA. We had this NASA recording. In the beginning, we had these kind of sonic references to the environment like you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We've had that before. Six. The weather's on the change. Six. We've had all these kind of like found sonic pieces or non-musical or environmental sonic pieces. That's something that we've had with Tull before. Here, it's almost like Ian has taken it upon himself to just do all those parts. It's kind of, you know, he's playing all these different characters simultaneously. Yeah. And he's doing it well. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, you really get the sense from one voice that you have everybody from the lowest recruit to the general of the six armies of darkness. Do you think that this has ever been played in concert? My sense is probably it has, but... Probably not too much. It probably was one that they tried out a couple times and decided to retire, but I could be wrong. We do know that they toured for this album, so it very well could have been played, even though it was technically a a bonus track. I'm trying to find it now. While you look that up, I love the reference to It's an Old Profession. Mm, What immediately comes to mind when you hear an old profession? Well, two things. One is... The classic text of military philosophy, Swinson's The Art of War, and the other is the phrase, the oldest profession, which is what they call prostitution. Right. That was my first thought. Yeah. But I don't know if you've ever read The Art of War. It's kind of a, it's kind of a massive favorite of mine, just because it's so detailed and it's, it's so fascinating because it's, it's so down to earth. It's just like, mm. here are the six, literally, you know, one chapter will be, here are the six types of terrain that you must consider when engaging with an enemy army. One, two, three, four. Here's how you define them. Here's what to do. You know, here's which ones to avoid. If you come across this terrain and you can get there before the enemy, then it will allow you to do this. You know, it's very cut and dry. Yeah, it's the Boy Scout manual for fighting war. It is, it is. And so, you know, saying it's an old profession, immediately you start thinking, okay, yeah. Just that one line which is the second line of the song, immediately starts working your brain to say, what has been the historical effect of war on humanity, on culture, on history? Yeah. Who were the oldest generals? You know, you just start going back and back and back and back. I don't see anything for General Crossing. It looks like it has not been played or has not been included in setlist.fm. 
It was just for they selves. It stays on the shelves. That's, I, I mean, I guess so. Well, no, because it was on albums. Yes. It was on the CD. Oh, yeah. It was on the CD shelves. It was on the sh- CD shelf. What else do we have to say musically about this song? I feel like we're going to have a lot content-wise. I just reiterate again, like, it's such a treat, this one. And like you said early on, there's such a finality to it that it, it really, really works well as a button. Bum, 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 and it's, let's see, it's just under four minutes. So it's a decent length. It didn't seem to rip by, like, Apogee. Apogee's over five, and it felt like it was done in no time. This one is, like, this one's meaty. This one fills out the space well. But when it's over, it is over. Yeah, it feels like it should echo. There's such a clean break there, but it doesn't, yeah. I wouldn't be upset if there were an echo. Just musically, just to broaden out our scope a little bit here. Since we're talking about the end of the album, this was 1984. When I went on my run this morning, I decided to, for research purposes only, listen to a 80s pop mix. In terms of what would be contemporary to this album? Exactly. Okay, And sure. it was really interesting. It was, yep. okay, let me actually pull up the list. Madonna, Michael Jackson, Prince. Pat Benatar. Oh, sure. Billy Idol. Okay. Billy Joel, Journey, Cutting Crew. Is Bowie on there? I'm sure he is. I don't know where Bowie was in the 80s. I wonder what album he was on. Eurythmics, Duran Duran, Bruce Springsteen. Oh, sure, yeah. John Mellencamp, Queen, Toto. Obviously, there's a lot going on. Styx, The Police. Yes. It feels like right at this era in time, there was such a glut of content that I feel like I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think it was as prevalent in the 70s, you know? Well... I could be very, very wrong. I think that the 80s were a time of musical innovation. You had... The digital age. Yes, and and at the same time, you still had the old guard of rock and roll. You had kind of the new wave of rock and roll. You had punk. You had post-punk. You had Mm -hmm. pop artists really coming into their own in a way that was different than it was in the 70s. And it was interesting listening to these artists because I realized Jethro Tull and Ian Anderson were not the only ones using drum machines. Oh, no, not at all. They were not the only ones making experimental and exciting use of the synth. I mean, look at Mm -hmm. Devo. Sure, yeah. But that's what Devo's known for, you know. Exactly. It's so much, much more jarring for Tull. And nobody complains about Madonna using a drum machine. Because they don't have the attachment to their being a live drummer from the 70s. Like a drum machine drummed for the very first time. Like a drum uh, a machine. Like a Fairlight CMI programmed for the very first time. <laughs> you make me feel like this is my first line of code ever. <laughs> she was a hopeless romantic. Let's, let's be honest. It's just fascinating hearing all these other musicians... And also, you know, as we're obviously we're going to talk about the content, but listening to the content of these songs, I was kind of keeping a mental score of what the songs were about that I was listening to. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, you know, while on the one side over here, we have The Cold War, Jean Le Carré, Spy Thriller, Space Exploration, War, all of these things. Mm -hmm. I heard songs about love, Mm -hmm. love subcategory regret. (laughs) Go on. Love and sex. Yep. Love and also maybe East-West politics. Oh, okay. Eastern boys and Western girls. Oh, that song, yes. Love. Sexy time love. Carnal. Carnal love. Street gang violence. Right. And sex on vacation. So nothing about spies. I mean, it just was a great reminder of like, oh, right. Other people were experimenting other people were probably achieving more popular success, but no one else was doing what Tell was doing. Right. Let's not forget, this album is, for all intents and purposes, lost to time. If you ask any schmo on the street, what Jethro Tull album do you know? Is it under wraps? They're going to say no. Yeah, it's a deep cut. So maybe there were other examples of this on that playlist was there a song off of under wraps no absolutely not because this was you know the curated list was all pop hits from the 80s 
Exactly. So maybe there are other Cold War story albums or concept albums. Of course. And, you know, it's impossible to have a cognizance of every album that was released in the 1980s. Right. My wife and I took a little mini date yesterday and went to a record store. Turned out a big mistake for the budget. (laughs) But (laughs) truly a huge error. But it turned out to be the oldest record store in the state of Florida. Or the oldest still operating record store. It's been in the same spot since 1970-something. And, you know, flipping through the dollar album rack, it was fascinating. There was stuff that I'd never heard of. I'm sure there was some weird stuff in there. We found a Jane Fonda workout record. (laughs) Wow, she started that early. Which we bought the shit out of. But, you know, it is... fall asleep to it every night. (laughs) Yeah. But it is interesting. You know, it's... Yes, you, you make a very valid point. And that is the only point I have. And I don't remember what that point was. That this was not a charting album, that there very well could have been other spy thriller albums, other concepty albums that we just don't know of. Possibly. Yeah. Definitely, but nothing like this. Possibly. No other album which was a duplicate of this album. That is factual, yes. Nick, anything else to say, musically? Nothing for me. Why don't we step into my howitzer tank and okay. we'll take a little break. This is surprisingly spacious and quiet for a howitzer tank. Thank you. Uh, I lined the inside with Turkish rugs. <laughs> with asbestos. Turkish rugs woven out of asbestos, yes. Yeah, the feng shui is very nice in here. Thank you. Would you care for a Turkish coffee? I would. And, oh, I just happened to bring a box of Turkish Delight. Here's your Turkish coffee. Is that an aftermarket add-on, or does that come in the the tank? Oh, oh, well, I did have it modded out, and and, uh, Ahmed did an amazing job with fulfilling all of my desires. He did kind of go a little completionist on the whole Turkish vibe. I just said comfortable, yeah. but, you know, it has specific taste. It's cohesive. You can't have enough blankets and lounge pillows. No. Yeah. It's my Turkish cat. So I don't have anything in terms of correspondence, but it is the end of the album. It is that. So let's talk about the end of this album. How do we feel... I think it's pretty clear, but how do we feel about this album as a whole? Under wraps, what did we learn? Did we grow to appreciate something? Did we come up with something that we didn't like? What do you got for Under Wraps? You know, my expectations going into Under Wraps were really non-existent. I I really didn't know what to expect. I was kind of just trying to listen to it with an open mind. I knew that it, I knew that there was a lot of controversy about it in the fandom, but I think that what I discovered was for myself that this is a good reminder of the fact that exploration and experimentation and having the tenacity and bravery to do that is really important within anything and especially within music because even if the result of it is not some huge you know multiple platinum hit album it's still important and worthwhile you know is this going to be my favorite go-to album to listen to no But it is something that I've gained such an appreciation for, both in terms of its historical relevance to Jethro Tull, but also just in terms of, like, the point in time and the music of the 80s and the the trajectory of music and society. It's really an amazing... It's kind of an amazing historical document. Yeah, it's a pretty cool time capsule. Yeah. Honestly, it reminds me of, like, watching a Charlie Chaplin movie. Hmm. It's like, regardless of whether or not you feel that this movie is funny or good or should have been made or that you like the story. The story is immaculately told. The technological innovations that were driven forward in order to make the film are undeniable. And you get to see a true master of their craft at work. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good summation and a really good comparison. They're also both short kings. Short kings? Is that what you said? Yes. Is that a tall general comparison there? Is that what that is? <laughs> no, it's what the kids say. Like, hey, king, keep your head up. Oh, he's a tall, he's a short king. Yep, never heard that okay. before. Well, 
<laughs> yeah. What about you? What did you learn with this album, Nick? Well, I think I went into it with the same mindset that I went in with A mm. of like, Ugh, this, we're going to slog through this one. And by the end of A and by the end of this one, I was pleasantly surprised. And honestly, I shouldn't be pleasantly surprised anymore. You should be unpleasantly surprised. I'm, I'm so upset at how surprised I am. Yeah. I think you hit it on the nose there that the ability to appreciate it for what it is and see how remarkable it is as this piece of history and this piece of tall history specifically, it really puts it into perspective. And and I, I do really appreciate the amount of work and the creativeness and the not being afraid to produce something like this. Okay, like absolutely. That... I think you said bravery earlier. The bravery for this is just, it's really commendable. And it's an album that I can appreciate on its own. Mm -hmm. And by Gummy, I, I, I do enjoy it. That is something that reminds me of something that I wanted to mention. And this is a little bit of an addendum. It's about to get addendumized. <laughs> When we were talking with the fabulous Claire Holditch, we talked about the question of the concept album. And mm -hmm. we kind of all got on this elder millennial get off my lawn kick. Concept albums are a little bit of a thing in the past, and now everything is just geared toward getting that one smash hit that can go on the radio and go down to TikTok. And I think that in general that is true. However, I was running recently and listening to your friend and mine, Uncle Snoop. And it reminded me, Snoop Dogg's 2021 album, Snoop Dogg Presents Algorithm. And the reason it reminded me of that is because that album that Snoop released and kind of dropped without any fanfare, it really is a concept album. He has an intro to it, and this is very not uncommon in the kind of genre of hip-hop as having these spoken or found audio introductions. But he sets himself up, he kind of creates this world in which his voice in all these interstitial moments is a computer algorithm or an internet algorithm which is determining what you're listening to. And it really, hmm. you know, the songs are great. He collaborates with a whole ton of artists from Method Man to Jane Hancock to Ty Dolla Sign to Benny the Butcher, etc. And so 20, 30 years ago, he'd be playing the part of a radio DJ almost. In a way, yes. And the whole album is framed around this listening experience. Okay. And, you know, then the algorithm takes on a personality of its own. And, mm -hmm. and it's more, you know, it's a thread that ties the whole album together. Now, in a way, maybe not all the songs are strictly an uber concept. But it did make me think, okay, well, why is Snoop Dogg able to create perhaps something like a concept album? And we don't see, you know, One Direction doing that. And I realized, ah, a concept album is made by someone who doesn't give a damn about what people think of it. Yeah, a concept album is made by someone who can make a concept album. Right, who isn't, for whatever reason, constrained by the feeling of just needing to have a collection of, of big radio hits. Yeah. I think musical genre has a lot to do with that, too. Yes. Of being able to safely do that. Or having the tradition of doing it. I mean, I, I do think that hip-hop right. hip has more of a tradition of having more of that storytelling element to it and, and the more sure. experimental use of what can you do within a, a track whereas rock and roll has typically more been focused on like and now guitar yeah this is a single for the radio this is a single for the radio I wanted to play a slow song here this is a single for yep, the radio exactly yeah and so I think the thing that Snoop Dogg and Ian Anderson have in common which is a small Venn diagram overlap <laughs> very tiny is well besides being you know in that overlap is astute businessmen long gamers yeah very much so and people who kind of don't give a damn what the general public or music industry think of them they're gonna do their thing again because they're so well established and they can do that yes but the move to do this in 84 is still pretty bold it's still pretty bold, you know. It, it could have... I mean, it didn't do terribly well, but it, it also didn't seal their coffin. 
as well, you know, they immediately went to, they had enough material or money or everything behind them momentum. that they could get over, momentum, yeah, exactly, that they could get over this, for lack of a better term, speed bump of an album. That's all that I had to say about the kind of concept, but that's my addendum. I know you have some things that you want to roll out, although the sun is shining a little bit heavily on me through the tank portal. So I'm just going to strafe the runners around so that we get out of the sun a little bit. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> wow, I am I'm actually I'm very well refreshed between the coffee and the kind of the the catnap. If I have one complaint about the tank is it got a little warm in there. I'm going to get a ceiling fan installed in there, but it's just all about the design. Yeah. No, it's nice. Aesthetically, it was very comforting. The wood paneling in the mirrors make it look a lot bigger than it is. I, I did bump into a mirror several times, yeah. <laughs> Nick, let's jump into the content of this song, and golly, am I excited. Yeah. Yeah, so again, our final song off the album, kind of the ultimate conclusion here. I mean, it feels so ultimate while still leaving a lot open. Yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting that hitherto-for, which is, I believe, how you say the word, mm -hmm. everything has been about the behind-the-scenes, the covert operations, the yes, information yeah. gathering, the sabotage, the special mission to space, the spy sub, you know, all of these things that you really associate with spies and kind of like military-adjacent Somehow, in this last track, we've gone from that. It has escalated to this is the preparation for or the first move of a full-scale conflict between nations. Right. Something happened. Maybe everything that our hero has done thus far wasn't enough. You know, or he made a mistake and this is how it escalated. Or his goal was achieved. Or that. Oh, valid. Super valid. Super scary, but yeah. So right away we have this line, he's crossing. Mm -hmm. Used very regularly, yeah. We went through a fair number of years of there not being any formal conflicts between very well-established nation-states. Unfortunately, that has recently changed, yeah, And I think that we are now a little bit more aware of the dynamics of big W warfare rather than intrastate conflicts or conflicts between groups occupying the same country. Yeah. And so the notion of he's crossing, well, what is he crossing? Whatever it is, it probably is a very important or well-watched geographical, political state boundary. And the crossing of that boundary is going to have massive consequences. Yeah, it could be a physical state line, borderline into a country. It could also be crossing the line, you know, doing something right. that is irrevocable and really just sends the world spinning into warfare. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, maybe he's crossing the mental line between deciding to keep the peace and deciding to create a situation where thousands or hundreds of thousands of people are going to lose their lives. Yeah. It's an old profession of subtle artillery. He's crossing. It's an old profession. He's crossing. He's Funny juxtaposition of terms there, subtle artillery, not something you generally think of as being a subtle thing. Right. Which kind of harkens back to being a spy, you know? It could be considered subtle artillery. You know, I just had a thought. Is it perhaps that the spy is the one who's finally providing this information, who's relaying back, oh my god, I know that none of you can see this because the communications have been cut, the satellite's been blown up. And all these things. But I have to let you know that he's crossing. He's doing the thing. The mm. thing that we all thought was inevitable. It's happening. I have to get this message across. Yeah. Ooh. 
I really like that. I really, really like that. That seats it so firmly in this concept that we've had this whole time. Is this the last act of our spy? Is to warn the rest of the world yeah. about the general. Ooh-hoo. I'm getting the bumps of Lagoose. Is the Lagoose? The general obviously is a person here. Yeah. Is it also, is that a term of reference for just the nuke? Is that a ballistic missile? Is the general? I suppose it's possible, but I also think that the actions that we have attributed to the general don't necessarily support that. The tall general will mine a few bridges tonight. It's referred to as a profession, which you wouldn't apply to an object. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Writes a stiff note to his nearest and dearest. Contemplates his fly. Writes a stiff note to his nearest and dearest. (laughs) It takes the battle plan. Contemplates his fly. Yeah, what is that? The flying missile? A fly is a little part on the front of your pants. It usually is a closure that has a zipper or sometimes buttons. Oh, I understand that, but why would he contemplate that? I'm trying to... Well, make sure it's up before it walks into battle. You don't want to walk into battle with your your lower flag flying. I suppose. I feel like there's something more there. It could be that. I think that one of the things that Ian is really good about with his writing is contrast. Mm -hmm. And... And for me, that kind of read to me as, like, we're building up this individual. We're building them up to be of such historic proportions. And even that person is just a human being who, before he walks out to address the troops, may realizes, like, oh, did I zip up my fly? (laughs) Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. But, I mean, to me, you can let something fly, you know? Yeah. So, to me, it feels a little bit like he's using that form. He's turning that verb into the noun. Either way, but I mean, also at the very end, the tall general flies by the seat of history. I was going to bring up that line. That is my favorite line, maybe in the entire album. It's pretty good. Because, again, one thing that Ian is very skillful at doing is taking phrases that we recognize and subverting them or Mm -hmm. making them a little bit topsy-turvy, swapping out one word. Yeah. And totally cracking open this whole new metaphor that no one's ever used before. Yeah. Flying by the seat of history? Wow. Yeah. So it's a reference to fly by the seat of your pants, which is kind of like not planning, just kind of going off the cuff, reacting to things. Being impulsive. Yes, yes. So flying by the seat of history is really kind of the opposite. It's like, oh, well, this was done. This is how warfare is done. This is how our countries have interacted. Okay, yeah. So this is how I'm going to approach this relationship and this war. You know, yeah, absolutely. I was also thinking of it in terms of doing something impulsive, flying by the seat of your pants in such a way that is going to have historical implications. Oh, oh, sure. Yeah, I like that too. He thinks inevitability He's definitely crossing. He thinks inevitability. Tall general is definitely crossing. I like that you brought up the kind of history of the potential relationship between nations. I mean, I think one thing that we often hear from people who have military power is, well, so-and-so, the other side, whomever, left us no choice. Mm -hmm. We have no choice but to invade this country. Oh, that's totally ridiculous you always have a choice yeah even if the choice is a bad one you have choice yeah so i always hate that turn of phrase oh they left us no choice but to do this that just removes responsibility absolutely what i was going to say and it's not as powerful it's political grandstanding and blaming the other guy and making it seem like you i.e. we, our country, is the victim, and we ha- we have to retaliate. It's inevitable. It's inevitable, and time for desperate measures. The pain in the forehead from holding up to the pressures. Of life on the rim of the convenient alliance. Out on the rim. Time for desperate measures. The pain in the forehead from holding up to the pressures. Of life on the rim of the convenient alliance. So is this a moment when the alliance no longer is convenient? It seems like stuff has escalated to 
that point, or maybe it hasn't reached that point, the pain in the forehead from holding up to the pressures of life on the rim. So he's just, he's feeling the stress of having to kind of play act this alliance. Okay, yes. And, oh, I guess... Mm. It kind of works both ways, which is funny. Yeah, it does. Whether the next step of the war is directed at this person with this country with whom the alliance has been made or someone else altogether. So there's two ways of reading this line of life on the rim of the convenience alliance. Is it life on the rim? Are the pressures being caused by life on the rim? Or is it the rim of the convenient alliance? Is this one of those alliances that politically makes a lot of sense, but in reality is so untenable that it creates so much tension that some rogue general just snaps and decides to dissolve the whole thing because it doesn't make sense in their local situation? Yeah. Or is it life out on the rim? You know, it reminds me of Apocalypse Now. Did you ever see that film? A long time ago. long, long time ago. You know, you have the general who comes from society who knows all the military rules, who kind of has been part of that formal world and then has gone out into the rim and has completely created their own society with their own rules. Yeah. And then the army sends troops to go clean up that mess. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Oof. And is, I mean, could our spy be the assassin in this story? Right. Is the spy the one that's getting cleaned up? Is the spy the, one doing the, the convenient cleaning. alliance? Is the spy doing the cleaning? Or is it just, this is what we are seeing through our digital telescope? Yeah. Ooh, I mean, it's funny. As much as this album, we talked about this when we were covering Apogee, but this sense that this is really kind of a choose-your-own-adventure, connect-the-dots-how-you-want album. Right. And again, talking about how well this song wraps up the album, from this point infinitely bifurcates into as many different types of stories as you want. It's pretty darn straightforward as the story has been up until this point. This one really is open to interpretation, I think. I don't feel like there's like a concrete answer, straightforward, this is how it is, but then we can kind of like squint a little bit and see something else. I feel like this is really open to any number of options it's like the picture that he's painting is so incredibly clear we see the images so incredibly clearly but how the story develops from there Mm. is the area that we fill in with our minds yeah exactly like i have such a clear image of the general the compound the tanks all lined up the moment of being at the field desk and writing the letter to his family this kind of terse like well i've decided to do the thing for the country and yeah, he writes a stiff note to his nearest and dearest. Wow. Yeah. He takes the battle plan and contemplates his fly. Without getting too much into detail, he really does paint that picture and gives us just enough information to have it so solid in our minds. What do you think of later they'll post him seemingly missing? He's going to be a Generalski. The tall general will walk across the compound. The tall general will walk across the compound with his briefcase and ID. Later, they'll post him seemingly missing. He's going to be a general. Well, you put ski on the end of anything and it's like Polish. It's it's just an instant. Well, it's a crummy attempt at Russian. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So has the tall general crossed the line to go work for the Russians? Ooh, it's a defecting general, perhaps. Yeah, he oh. takes the briefcase and ID. He takes the briefcase with all the, ah. the super important information. They'll post him. They can't find him. He's missing. He's crossing the line between the allegiance to his own government and the someone else's. He's crossed over, yeah. He's mined some bridges. Oh, my gosh. Wow, what a fantastic interpretation. He's mined the bridges, he's going to cross, and then blow up the bridge behind him. Yeah, whether they're they're actual physical bridges or theoretical... Emotional bridges. Emotional bridges, yeah. 
Was all of this whole album an attempt to get this powerful war leader to turn to the side of the spy? But is the spy Russian? Or did the spy fail? Perhaps we're hinging too much on that one-syllable ski. No, I mean, I cannot interpret that any other way. Yeah, it's hard. I can't. I can't. I can't believe I forgot all about that very last verse. I think that, for me, I always try to put this into a fictional world that resembles the real world. Yeah, right. You know, and so so even though, of course, it was the Cold War and there was a lot of tension with the USSR, I think, for me, it's sort of like, yeah, but it's still a story. Now, speaking of conflicts and wars, would you like to hear about some of the wars that were going on at this period? Oh, sure. Yeah, that context would be really nice, yeah. The 1980s was not free of armed conflict. Surprise. We had the Angolan Civil War, the Anti-Duvalier Protest Movement, the Assam Movement, Operation Curtain, the East Timor Genocide, the First Elam War, the Ethiopian Civil War, I mean, the list goes on. The Glasgow Ice Cream Wars? Not sure exactly what that was about. Oh, it was a turf war between organized crime gangs. The Iran-Iraq War. Mmm. The Lebanese Civil War. The South African Border War. The Soviet-Afghan War. Probably very relevant. I believe that was one of those situations where the Cold War was playing out in real time, being funded by the Americans and the Russians in Afghanistan. We had the Troubles. The Troubles. The Troubles is what they call the IRA? Yep. The Northern Ireland, yep. We had the Third Indochina War. We had the Years of Lead in Italy. There was a lot going on. And a lot of these wars were related to or funded by the superpowers so that the United States and the Soviet Union could play out their conflict without directly being in conflict with each other. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. It is. It is. And thinking overall on this album, he did a, a darn good job really encompassing that and kind of giving us the feeling of the stress and the concern on a very micro scale. But there was always that tension and he really built it up. I'm not one for spy fiction. It never really did it for me and I, I haven't not consumed much of it. But this is really interesting to me. Well, and I think that using the spy thriller format gives you a platform in order to talk about some of this stuff in a more abstract and imaginative way. It allows you to explore the concepts of this conflict that was going on, you know, or all of these global conflicts or the global conflicts between the past and the burgeoning new technology. I mean, there was so much going on. And this allows Ian to explore it in a safe way, in a way that allows your imagination to flourish. Rather than, you know, there was the song, I think it was from the solo album, that was about the raid on the Iranian embassy. Oh, that was the first song off of A. That was Crossfire on A, yeah. Right. Okay. That was something that is, you know, there's no room for fantasy there. Sure. Right. Yeah. Because it's about a very specific event. A lot of that album was kind of topical, yeah. And this is topical, but in a different way. You know, if you have a song about that, the raid on the embassy, what you can do is think, what do I know about that? Oh, I'll research it. Great. I know what happened. Oh, the song was about that. This allows you the freedom to think, wow, what lessons can we learn from this period in time? What are the possible implications of this power struggle? I, it provides a platform for you to really think about it in a different way. By contrast, a song released by Sting the very same year called simply Russians mm. is a very literal, face-forward description of the tensions that were happening. The lyrics hmm. read, In Europe and America, there's a growing feeling of hysterica, conditioned to respond to all the threats. In the rhetorical speeches of the Soviets, Mr. Khrushchev says, We will bury you. I don't subscribe to that point of view. It'd be such an ignorant thing to do if the Russians love their children too.
So he's taking literal lines from politicians and contrasting them and then providing his philosophical point. This is like the opposite. This is saying, here's the general's vibe of the 80s. Yeah. Here's a bunch of kind of half-imagined situations. And now I'm not going to make a point about it. The point is yours to discover. And that is what I find so fascinating about this album. Yeah, I mean, that's true to form for Ian Anderson. It is. Right from the beginning. You know, it's a little more plopped into reality here. It's not like they're ethereal lyrics and we're trying to decipher what they mean. It's really a, a bit more realistic, but we can still have that opportunity to try and fit it into what we know. Yeah. And Ian never, and I'm realizing this, maybe or articulating this for, I think, maybe the first time, but I think in all of Jethro Tull, Ian never tells you how you should feel about the song. I feel like there are like one or two instances. I can't remember off the top of my sure. head, but I feel like he's gone on record like one or two times and said, this is what this song is about. But way more often, he's like, yeah, interpret it how you will. Right, but I even mean in the song itself. With the Sting song, he's saying, here's the world situation and here's how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. A.K.A., here's how you should feel about it if you're a good person. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Ian says, here's the world situation. I'm not going to tell you how I feel about it, and I don't care mm. how you feel about it. But this is yeah. a platform for exploring those feelings and having whatever feelings you want. He's a non-committed narrator, you know. It's third person. It's third person once removed. He's a kissing narrator. You can kiss that narrator. It's totally fine. <laughs> oh, it might be awkward at Thanksgiving, but hey... Your first kiss has to be with someone. Your first kiss has to be with a cousin. It's in upstate New York, it is. <laughs> Listen, stop. <laughs> Getting too close to home. Speaking of rock and roll and kissing cousins, you know that Jerry Lee Lewis just died. Yeah, 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 yeah. When he was 21, I think, he married his cousin who was 13. Wow. I knew he married his cousin. Did not realize she was 13. She was 13 years old. Thirteen years young. <laughs> Rest in peace, Jerry Lee Lewis. Amazing contributions to the rock world. Truly one of the last of the old guard. Yeah. For the old, old guard. The oldest guard. The OG rockers. Yeah. And he had a life that matched. Omen. Nick, oh my God, where did you come from? We are done with Under Wraps. Holy bejeebus. What are we doing next week? Next week, I believe that it is about to be the time where finally, after much perseveration and lead up, before I tell you, let me say some things. <laughs> Please, tell me. I think it's Steel Monkey. Theoretically, yes. What do you mean, theoretically? Chronologically, yes. But it is the 13th of December, so we will be starting the last round of our Christmas tracks. Oh! <laughs> We're going to do two instrumentals. We've got Pavain and Greensleeved. Are you telling me I have to wait a couple more weeks before we can get into one of my very favorite tall albums ever? You have to wait a month before we get into Crest, yeah. I don't know why I let you set the schedule to do this. Because you never would have set a schedule. I would have put all the songs into a randomizer. That could have been fun. No, no. But we would have lost a whole lot of aspect of the albums and the pieces as a whole, so. So next week we're taking a short break for the Winterville holiday session. Yep. yep we're going to yep, be yep. rounding out the Christmas album, which will be a delight, and we will salivate! Getting ready to open up Crest of a Knave. We'll wash down our eggnog and dry-ass sugar cookies with Crest of a Knave soon enough. Eggnog. It worked. Eggnog, yeah. Until next week, 
you should stroke your soft machinery oh. all the way over to our Tee Public page, the link Thanks. to which can be found in our show notes. There you'll find all sorts of Talk Tall to Me merch that you can wear proudly or ashamedly. I'm not going to tell you how to rep our podcast, as long as you do it. I don't care. Just do it. If you have a pain in your forehead from holding up the pressures, why don't you get out your briefcase and ID and sign up for our Patreon, which will give you access to the secret codes of Discord and two extra podcasts for the low price of $5 a month. Oman, how many Guatemalan Quetzals is $5 a month? Do you know? I thought they went extinct. It's 7.74. Oh, really? So for 7.74 Guatemalan Quetzals, you can have access to our Discord. Oh, the Quetzal is doing a lot better than I thought it was. Yeah. Well, at the time of writing, it could have dropped. But the dollar is pretty trash right now. Anyway, send us a fanfare at dawn by leaving us a five-star rating and positive review on Apple Podcasts so that other potential prog patrons can appreciate our pod. One star for every world war that we will experience within our lifetimes. One, two, oh. three, four, five. Oh, that's very depressing and, and sickening. Thank you. Yes. Until next week. I am the Rough Wheels, Omen Thomas Said. I am the Average Height Admiral, Nick McGill. Button in, button out, we are the Feckless Momes. And this is a landscape with plenty of trees. Talk tall to me. Recruits, you line up over here right now. You call that lining up? My grandmother could draw a straighter line using a noodle. Now shut up. Shut up and talk to me. I don't want to hear your inner thoughts. I don't want to hear your outer thoughts. I want to speak to your inner children right now. I am Colonel Rufus Ethelberg, and I am your commanding officer. For you group of worm, maggot, trout, bait, caviar-flavored hook squealers. You! What's your name, soldier? Cadet Samson, sir. Samson! Cadet Samson, you call yourself a Samson. My, my mother called me a Samson. Your mother! I'm sure she was a very nice woman. In fact, I will be writing to her to request her recipe for eggplant. Casserole! Samson, look down! Yes, sir. What do you see? My boots, sir. That's right! Samson, look up! Yes. What do you see? Uh, you, sir. That's right! Samson, if you ever look up and you see your boots, or if you ever look down and you see me, I want you to pull yourself together and stop being upside down. Now drop and give me 30 burpees. Yes, sir. <coughs> you, you beady-eyed, piggy-faced, sweaty boot licker. What's your name, Corporal? Corporal Franklin, sir. Corporal! Grab onto my thumb. Yes, sir. Squeeze as hard as you can. Jerk it up and down a little bit. Uh, okay, sir. That wasn't my thumb. Huh? Drop and give me 30 burpees. Yes, sir. Now you, with the hair and the eyebrows and the mustache and the neck beard. You, who I'm going to take a big whiff of right now. What's your name, soldier? Private First Class Brannigan, sir. Oh, you are a First Class Private. Now, Private Brannister, can you name me all the hallmarks of being a Marine? With all due respect, sir, we're in the Army, sir. That's right, that was a trick question. Now, can you give me all the hallmarks of being a U.S. Army man? Clean cut, sir. That's right! What's number two? Fresh breath, sir. What about number three? Shoes tied, sir. That's right, you've passed on all three accounts. You look exactly like one of those plastic army men that I wake up and caress every morning. And finally, we have our foreign recruit. What's your name, if you can even speak the English? Cadet Seamus, sir. Seamus, starting now, you will always keep your bayonet clean. You will always keep your eye on the prize. And my god, what does that say tattooed all over your... Ankles! It says Talk Told Me is a proud member of the Feckless Moms Audio Network, sir! You heard him, cadets. That's now the official motto of the 13th Pantless Brigade. 
Now, extra high knees and hop! <laughs>